0: Amen, amen. Good morning, Redemption Tempe. My name is Warren. I'm one of your pastors. I'm glad to be with you today as we kick off a new sermon series in Romans 8 that we're calling Life in the Spirit. So if you've been with us over the past couple weeks, we were in this series where we were just looking at some of the core convictions and values of our church And so we were talking about family culture, right? How we believe that God has designed the church to operate like a family. And so John taught on that, and we celebrated that with our past First Wednesday. And also, we've been talking about how Jesus is Lord over every single area of life. And so if that's true, everything we do under the sun matters because he is Lord of it and over it. And so the third thing, the third value which we haven't touched on recently is that we believe that we encounter God through the, the, the way he reveals himself in his word and in the power of his spirit. And so we haven't done a sermon specific to that yet because we are jumping into this series today where we are talking about what it means to live in the power of the spirit. What is life in the spirit? What does it mean for us to abide in a strength beyond what we can muster up in ourselves? So as I think about my own story, I remember when I realized that I needed this. Remember, remember like it was yesterday. I've shared bits of my story here, but a big part of my faith journey was that I had grown up in church. But when I moved to Arizona, I had completely turned my back on following Jesus completely. And so during that time, there were a lot of low episodes, One of my lowest episodes I'm going to share with you today is called A Weekend in Long Beach. (laughs) Lowest episodes. I'm glad you guys are laughing at my lowest episode. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) I'm just joking. Let me tell you about this weekend in Long Beach. Uh, So I had a friend here in Arizona named Gil. Gil and I worked the overnight when we were working, uh, when I was working in the trucking industry. And so we had gotten really close and he was working on a project here, but he was His home base was in Long Beach. And so when the project here ended and he had to move back, I was like, dude, I'm going to come and check you out one of these weekends, man. We're going to come and I'll come out there and hang. And so I did that. Uh, Left here one Friday, drove down there uh, to Long Beach, got there Friday night. And let me tell you, as soon as we got there, didn't waste a minute. We hit downtown Long Beach and we hit it hard. And so we were in the bars, we were like drinking, having a good time. I remember the song at the time was, I got the club going up on a Tuesday. And it was, it, it was a Friday, but it was going up in there. Um, and so, you know, nights going on. I remember it was like, it started to just become a blur. I remember I was spending so much money that one time I like swiped my card and it got declined because there was no funds left and everyone laughed at me and I didn't even care because I was just so out of it. Um, Night continues like that, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. it hits, and that's when everything shuts down over there. But we're like, man, we're young and we got energy. We're ready to keep going. And so we connected with some other people in the the bar, and they were like, all right, come over. We're going to do an after party. And so we were like, yeah, that sounds right. So went over to their house, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. At 4 a.m., we're like, all right, this is getting a little crazy. Like, this is definitely over the line now, 4 a.m., I mean, come on. And so we were like, all right, got to head home. We're going to head home. And like, I was going to go crash at his place and call it a night. And so hopped in an Uber, get to his townhouse. There's like this courtyard area in front of it and everything. And I do what I always do whenever I'm like transitioning from place to place. I do the phone keys wallet check to make sure it's all together. And so as I did that check, I realized that I only had my keys on me. And so I'm like, oh, shoot. Yo, Gil, we have to like go back. I think I left my phone in my wallet at uh, whoever that person's was <laughs> house. Uh, dude, let's, let's call back the Uber. This guy was so out of it that he didn't even hear me. He just like stumbled inside, uh, opened the door, locked it. I could hear him hit the floor and that was it, lights out. And so I'm knocking, I'm like, yo, yo, wait, 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 you're you're not alone today. Remember I was visiting for the weekend, dude, can you open the door and no answer. And I just, I realized he's not opening that door. He's out, he's down for the count. And so I was like, at first I was kind of like, ah, this is kind of crazy. You know, it was kind of funny. I was like, wow, look at me, look at me stuck in California. No phone, no wallet, no way to reach anybody. Don't even know where I'm at. It's kind of funny, right? But then it's like 4.30 hit, right? And that ocean breeze started to hit me as I only had on like a Smedium polo shirt. Because, you know, I wanted to show off my arms and whatnot. As that started to hit me, things started to get a little more bleak. Started to reflect a bit more. Started to think about the youth group that I used to lead back in the church, back home. Started to think about how or when I had decided to leave, how my church prayed for me to go. And I was thinking about the decisions I was making that got me to that point of being stranded. And as those thoughts started to hit, I started to really beat myself up. I started to really feel the weight of my sin, of the the shameful actions that I had participated in, guilt of it all. And the words that I needed to hear are the words that we are going to be exploring today. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because I felt condemned. I felt like God wanted nothing to do with me. I felt like I was beyond the power of him to like radically transform me. But the thing is, if you would have came and told me those words while I was in that courtyard, I probably wouldn't have received it. I would have said, how is this possible? I would have said, you don't know the things I've been doing. God is way too disappointed in me for me to ever have another chance of life with him. Right? Who's gonna pay the price for my sin? So that's the question we'll be looking at today. How is it possible that Paul can make this declaration given the serious nature of sin? So we'll be going there, be looking at that, but before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you, God, that as we get to come here each week and sing to you and hear from your word, God, it shapes us to be more faithful as your people. And so God, Open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your word today, Lord. We love you. your name, amen. So our passage today, Romans 8, 1 through 8. Doreen just read it, but I'm going to read it one more time just to even get it fresh in our minds again. It says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here's our biggest takeaway for today. Here is the main thing I want you to remember. If you don't hear anything else that I have to say today, if you don't remember anything else, it's that this, that the power of sin has been broken in our lives. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. And that there is a new power now for us to live, to walk, and abide in. And so our passage today starts with this therefore link. Right. I, I remember Right, Ricardo, who used to be one of the pastors, who used to say, if you see therefore, you got to ask, what's, his, what's it there for? Right. And so you look back whenever you see a therefore in Scripture to kind of get an understanding of why of what is about to be explained, why it's about to be explained, what what is being said. And if we look back in Romans sevens and the previous chapters of Romans, we'll see that what Paul's been doing is he, he's been making this case that it was impossible for humanity to be righteous by adherence to God's law. it was impossible for humanity to gain salvation by adherence to God's law. Now, you may ask the question, what is God's law when I reference that? God's law uh, definition will be on the screen for us. Uh, there it goes. I have to use my, my pointer.. Uh, The law is the sum of of the total of God's requirements and expectations for man's behavior, words, and attitudes as expressed through his commands and the statutes given to his people in the Old Testament. And to turn aside from the law, to turn aside from God's law what's considered to be sin. And the thing is, is that since creation, right, no human being has been able... To keep the law because of sin, right? Because of ways that we sin through our thoughts, through our words, and through our actions. In Romans 7, what Paul was saying, he was in anguish because he's been trying to meet the standard. He's been trying to meet the holy and righteous uh, requirements set by God. But because of the sin in him, he can't do it. And what the law said is that partial obedience wasn't enough. What the law said is that in order for you to be fully righteous, you had to follow every single law. Perfect obedience was required. And so he found himself in this predicament because as much as he wanted to follow it, he couldn't do it, right? uh, The way he puts it is like he found himself doing the things he didn't want to do, right? And so there was this deep conviction because he felt completely powerless when it came to his sin. You see, that wasn't the only thing. It wasn't only that he had a good desire and sin was thwarting his good desire. The other issue was that as the law exposed God's righteous requirements and standards, the sin in him, right, sin which puts us in opposition to God, started to rage and actually was hostile to God's ways, right? What Paul would say is that for him, it was the sin of wanting the things that other people have. Right As the law exposed that as a sin, he found himself wanting the things other people have even more. As his sinful nature, which is opposed to God, sought to go its own way instead of God's way. And so there was a couple problems with following the law. The first one is the inability to do it, right? the powerlessness of, because of our sin. And the second is the hostility, right? the hostility if we are just operating in our sinful flesh. And so while the law in itself was good, what it didn't do was give the ability for people to actually carry it out. The law didn't give the power of obedience. It's kind of like the hands-free cell phone law here in Arizona. How many of you guys have followed that perfectly this week? Man, both services. I didn't see one hand go up, man. We got a problem, church. Right? We know, that law, it's, we know that law is good. We know why it's in place. We know it's, it, it in itself is good. But many of us feel powerless when our phone buzzes or that email comes across or that text message comes across. Against, we feel powerless against not picking our phones up. Right? It feels like even though the law is there, it doesn't give us the power to be able to carry it out. And then, two, some of us are like, well, that law is for somebody else. I don't know about you guys, but I could read an article going 60 on the I-10. I could totally do that. I don't know why that law is in place. I don't know who that's for, and definitely not for me, because I'm talented. right? And so there's a hostility towards it. We feel like, no, our way is better. And so what it says in the beginning of verse 3 is that the effectiveness of the law was weakened. Right? While the law was good, its effectiveness was weakened because of our sin problem. Okay, that's a case. Now you may be asking, that's the problem. You may say, okay, well, what's the problem with that? Why is that such a big deal? Well, the problem is if we are ruled by our sin, if we are just solely under the power of our sin, what we're going to find ourselves is separated from a holy and perfect and righteous God. Because what we do in our sin is we reject his ways, right? Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We say, I don't want your ways, God. I want to do things my own way. I don't trust you. I don't trust your goodness. And so what it does is it draws us away from the heart of God, draws us away from his love. And because of the way that sin comes into our world and destroys creation and destroys our lives, if God loves us seriously, he has to take sin seriously. And so he does that. And what he does is he gives a penalty for sin. And the penalty for sin is death. It's that serious. Now, you may be asking, okay, does that mean that every time a person sinned that they died? No. That's not the type of death that Paul is referring to here. He's talking about a spiritual death that happens, that the longer that we continue to reject God and his ways, Right. As though further and further we will find ourselves as we choose to live in rebellion towards him. And if we continue in that way, what's going to happen is that there will be a point of no return. Right. We will find ourselves eternally separated from him in our rebellion. And so it's kind of like this. The way that, the way that this works is like when my doctor last year told me, hey, you're heading towards diabetes. Right. Every single donut that I grabbed from Redemption Kids, it wasn't killing me. Right. Every time I ate one of those chocolate frosted delights, it wasn't killing me, but the culmination of it would bring me to a point of no return. And so, guys, if we're serious about this family culture, and if you really love me, tell me, man, stop, put down the donuts, man. (laughs) Knock it out of my hand. And if I respond back meanly, just know God is working on me, man. It's the power of the flesh, you know, it's a real thing. And so this is the courtyard moment of sorts that humanity as a whole found itself in. Trapped under the weight of condemnation. Trapped uh, under the weight of guilt, shame, God's wrath. The question is, what is our hope? Our hope, as Paul says in verse three and on, is that God had a plan. While we were still enemies of him, he sent Christ. And so as it says that God sent his own son in the body like the bodies we have as sinners. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Right? He, gave, he did that by giving Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. And so he bore the full weight of the penalty of sin and death, so we didn't have to. He was our representative who lived this sinless life and satisfied the demands of the law. And so we get to live as beneficiaries of that. The price has been paid. We get to be credited with the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. If we are in him, we are credited with his righteousness. When God sees us, he sees him because of what he did. You know, I have some, uh, I have some aunties in my life who are like really saved, like they're not saved, they're like really saved. And every now and then, you know, they share something on Facebook that's a picture of like God and the devil arm wrestling or something. But every now and then they share a gem like this, right? A receipt there. And what does it say? Sin paid for, shame paid for, pain paid for, past mistakes paid for. Rejection and loneliness, paid for. Slavery to sin, paid for. Spiritual death, paid for. Jesus paid it all. It's beautiful picture of what we have in Christ, what he's done for us, the lengths that God has gone on our behalf. And so it's in this reality that Paul makes this declaration, this declaration that should hit us the same way if we heard it tomorrow, that there has been a cure found for cancer. There is this declaration that we are not condemned, that we have life, that we can be dead to sin and alive to God. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we look at verses four and on, what we see there is how do we live in light of that, right? In light of this beautiful reality that's possible, that's available in Christ. What is it? What it says in verse four through eight is that we walk now in the new power of the spirit. We don't return back to the flesh that was destined for death and it was killing us slowly and separating us from God. We have a new ability, a new power to walk in. And it's the power of the Spirit. And as we continue our series, we'll talk more about what it means to do that. But here's the point. The point Paul makes as we open up our passage and open up this series, as we, before we get into everything else, what he wants us to get is that the power of sin has been broken. That there's no more condemnation. There's no more fear. The penalty. There's no more fear that our sin is going to overcome us. We have freedom because of the power of the Spirit. No condemnation. So what's, a, what's maybe a good picture in our minds to hold as we think about this? I think there is a place in Scripture where we hear a story about a father who receives his son with no condemnation. And as we hear it, we get this. We get a clear picture about the heart of God here. I think uh, the place some of you may be familiar with is the prodigal son of Luke 15. If you're not familiar with it, I'll sum it up for you here. So the way that the parable goes that Jesus calls is that there are two sons, right? And the youngest of the two sons decides, doesn't want his father's will, doesn't want his father's way, and he wants to do things his own way. And so he goes, and he lives recklessly, right? He goes, and even though his father has given him an inheritance, it doesn't last because of his reckless living. Before you know it, he finds himself in his own courtyard of sorts. He's in a pig pen. And he's looking at the food. He's so hungry. No one's helping him. He's looking at the food that the pigs are eating, and he's like, dang. It's like he hears the Ving Rhames voice from Arby's commercials, dude. He's like, man, they got the meats, dude. (laughs) And so he's looking at that food, and he, 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 it, it, as he's in that low spot, he comes to his senses, and what he remembers is that the lowest position of his father's house lives way better than whatever the circumstances he found himself in then, and so he said, you know what, I'm just gonna go back home, I'll go back home, i remember what my father was like, and so as he's heading home, he right, doesn't say this, but you can just imagine as he's heading home, he's thinking about everything. He's maybe thinking about all the excuses he's going to make. Maybe he's thinking about what his father is going to say to him. His father's going to say something like, "I told you, told you, didn't I tell you, you we're going to ruin your life?" Even if his father's like that, it's clear he has a misconception of his father's heart. And so he goes home, and the thing is, before he could even get the words out, before he could even get to his father's door, the father's running towards him, running towards him, putting aside all dignity, putting aside all decorum, running towards him because he's been waiting for him on the road. And so he, he doesn't, the, the son tries to bring up some words of like, oh, I'm sorry, and the father says, No. You are received back. You will not be a servant in my house. You are reestablished as a son, a son. And so he meets him, the ring in a robe, celebration. And he's brought back into the fold of the family. And I wish I could say that's where the story ended because that would be a nice bow on that, to be honest. But that's not where the story ended. That's not how Jesus ended the story. What Jesus said is that the elder brother who stayed home, he wasn't really feeling the way that his father received back the son who ran away. He said, what about me? How how does he get all the the party and the gifts? Do you know what he did? He brought a stain to us. Father says, no, I love you, but the same love I have for you, the same love I have, my son who's been away, and now he's home. So I'm going to celebrate him. Stop hating. He didn't, he didn't say that last part, but <laughs> if it was updated today, he probably would have said that. <laughs> right, but we, we get in this parable that Jesus tells, the heart of our father, the heart of our heavenly father. And I think With so many of our struggles in our life, so much of the pain or the sin that we find ourselves in, it's because we forget that. We forget the heart of our heavenly father. We forget the love that he has for us, how he receives us with no condemnation. And I know it's tough for some of us to hear because maybe even as we think about our earthly father's. And we think about maybe how we were punished for every single mistake. You're like, well, maybe that's how God treats me. Well, I'm here to tell you, that's not how your heavenly father is. Your heavenly father loves you. It's not waiting in heaven to crush you after every single mistake. I think we all need to hear this message of no condemnation today. Before we even get into what it means to walk in the Spirit, before we even start to think about what behaviors we need to change, we need to get this reality that we are no longer in the shackles of our sin, that we are no longer in the shackles of sin and shame and condemnation, right? And if that is true, That there's not less condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if that's true, then we can walk in this new power of freedom that we have. And so what do we do? We plant our feet in the foundation of his love and the work of Christ. We plant our feet in the reality that we are unconditionally loved by God. We don't try to run in our own strength. We don't try to walk in our own strength which is what we will try to do. If we don't get that reality, we'll get on the spiritual treadmill, trying to run in our own strength, going nowhere. It's the beauty of God's grace for us. What God's grace does for us is it frees us from the limits of our own strength. It frees us from the limits that we have in our own strength. And so question is, right? With this declaration that Paul makes, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, there are different ways that we need to hear this message today. Even in this room, there are different ways that this message needs to be heard, different angles. I think a helpful way to think about the angles is to think through what are the ways that the characters in the prodigal son needed to hear this message, right? What did the son who went astray, what did he need to hear? Because some of you today are like that. They're like the child who's gone astray, the child who's not living into their God-given identity. And I can tell you a lot about that because that's where I was. Right? That's where I was in the courtyard in Long, in Long Beach. I had stopped following Jesus because I felt powerless when it came to my sin. I felt like what my faith was all about was following a bunch of rules, and I could never do it. I could never do it. And in my mind, what I thought was God was just disappointed at me. There was no God who delighted in me. There was just a God who was grumbling at me all the time. And so the rules felt restrictive and impossible, and honestly, I just wanted to break from them. I was like, I just want to do my own thing. And so what I did is I pursued freedom and what I thought freedom was all about, doing whatever you want. And what I realized is that as I pursued that route that everything that I thought I would turn to that would bring freedom only left me further weighed down further broken further feeling the weight of guilt and shame and condemnation So as it the story goes with many of us in here I got to the end of that But uh, even as I thought about coming back to church cuz I was like well at least in church, you know, I, used, I felt like my life was going better, so I'll just go back to church, try that out. And so I remember Googling churches, and I found this one, and even before I came in here, I was like, oh, man, I know I'm going to hear a message about how disappointed God is in me, right? And I was expecting to be guilted back to God, just purely guilt. I had even written down all the things I was going to change in my life beforehand, So that God would, so I can get right with God. Getting ready to hop on that spiritual treadmill. But when I came here, what I heard was a message about the grace of God, right? And it opened my eyes to the reality that I couldn't get right enough with God. I couldn't get right with God. What I needed was the righteousness that came from Jesus, and my blood and sweat were not gonna get me there. It was a free gift that was given to me. And if I, I, if I wanted to follow him, it wasn't going to be by my strength. It was going to be by the power of his Spirit. You know what the enemy told me when I first came in here, he said, God wants nothing to do with you. Just sit in the back. He's not going to save you to anything. So that's what I thought. I thought God was done with me. And undoubtedly, I know there are people here today that are feeling that same thing. I want you to hear me clearly. God is not done with you. God is not done with your life. Right? No one could imagine the love that he has for you, the things that he may have in store for you. There's no doubt that sin causes injuries, but the beauty of the gospel is you don't have to succumb to those injuries. But here's what I would say also. You're not Wolverine. You can't heal yourself. You can't heal yourself. You need to follow the power of his spirit, working through his word and prayer and his people, the community. Lead you, guide you. Don't give in to your sin. Remember the love the Father has for you. Turn to him. Amen? Amen? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the first group. Second group is this. All of you today need to hear this message like the elder brother needed to hear it. The elder brother who stayed home, and as we look at that parable, right, the father's the only one on the road. The brother wasn't waiting for him to come home. Brother wasn't waiting for him to come home. The brother had maybe even given up hope that he would come home. And sometimes what happens as you've stayed home and maybe you've done everything right in your mind, right? You've followed all the rules. What can happen is instead of there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ, it becomes there is no condemnation for those who are like me and walk rightly in the power of my own opinions and judgment. We make ourselves the standard of righteousness. And so what does this look like? I think it can look like an inability to forgive those people who've sinned, brothers and sisters who've sinned. There's sometimes, even in us, a desire like Jonah had in the Old Testament to not see people receive God's mercy. It looks like a lack of grace towards the growth areas of new Christians or immature believers. And what happens is you make a final judgment on them based on a character flaw. And how it often works is we have a lot more grace for our own growth and journey than we do for that of others. Remembering that if God has authored their faith, that he is the perfecter of it, that he's gonna bring it to completion. Same way he's growing you, he's gonna grow them as well, their own way. I think another way it can look like is a lack of hope for those who've gone astray. If you've been in the faith for any time, you're going to have people that maybe at some point you were walking with, and maybe they've turned away from following Jesus. I think even when I was in that period, the thing that actually spoke to me a lot were the, the, the people who knew I was struggling, but were checking in and encouraging me and reminding me about God's love for me. But what happens often is we get so annoyed with people that instead of praying for their repentance, we just have contempt for them. We're like, did you see what they just posted? I can't believe that. Right? Do you believe they're doing this? And in that, it's like, are we praying for these people? Right? Are we actually desiring for them to turn, away, to turn away from their sin and turn to God and be animated by the power of his spirit? So, there are many ways we can find ourselves in this position. And I think the prayer here is if we find ourselves here, is this Lord, help me to love like you love. I want to join you on that road, waiting for lost children to come home. Anticipation and excitement. Help me to seek unity. Help me to maybe speak into someone's life words of encouragement. I mean, we, when, I, when I see weakness in them, thinking about this in regards to the two brothers. Lord, help me to remember that the grace for the brother who strayed is the hope of the one who stayed. Because the reality is we need the same grace the person who strayed did. And if God can extend grace to sinners like that, then we can be confident he can extend it to sinners like us too. Never graduate from God's grace. Amen? Amen. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Last group. I know some of you are like, what characters are left in the prodigal son? I think we've talked about all of them, right? Well, what I believe is that as that younger son was out there tearing downtown Jerusalem up, he wasn't by himself. You know he wasn't by himself. You know he had a pal with him or two that was painting the town with him, you know? And that friend didn't know anything about his father's heart. <laughs> didn't know anything, right? He was just living recklessly. And maybe he'd ha- he had even given up on fathers as a whole. He didn't know this message of no condemnation. And when I think about a friend like that, I think about Gil. Because I remember for him, he was just like, I don't want anything to do with religion or Following Jesus, I don't want any of that. He was explicitly like, not not about it. Uh, I remember even trying to talk to him about it, but he was like, whew, you? Uh, Wasn't really hearing it, you know, because I was doing the same things as him. (laughs) But here's the thing. I know Gil, even though he was explicitly anti-Christian, explicitly opposed to God, that's not the only way people oppose him. People also oppose him implicitly. Just by the way we order our lives, we may say, Jesus, I don't want you to be Lord over my life. I got it. I don't need it. But the thing is, is I know that we are designed for relationship with God, undeniable reality of our existence. And if God it, is not in the throne of your life, you're going to try to replace him with something else. You're going to do it through a relationship. You're going to do it through money. You'll try to climb the career ladder, right? You'll try to uh, do it through money. There are all these different things that you are going to try to replace the void that only God can fill. And as you're doing that, right, as you're thinking, okay, I'm doing all these significant things, the reality is, right, if death is what's just looming there at the end of it all, you question, like, well, what is this all for? Why Why do I care about these things so much? Why do I have these deep desires in me to be known? And sometimes what happens is people will say, well, I'll just be a good person. I'll just do do some good things in the world. Well, here's what I would say to that. Is your efforts to save yourself through your own works and efforts, even if they're great, is like a person on death row with good manners. You may say, please, and thank you. You may do a lot of good things. But the reality is, right, if you are standing outside of the righteousness of Christ, you are in condemnation. You are under the law. And for all the reasons that we already spoke about, you will be unable to fulfill it. And so why do I say that? Do I say that to scare you? No. What I say that to say is that there's an invitation being made today there's an invitation into the life and peace that can only come through Jesus the way, the truth the life and that's the invitation he makes to you today when you've gotten to the end of yourself new life begins with him and the power of the Spirit. There's a life and peace you can't gain for yourself. And all the things that you're fearing, your purpose, your mortality, your significance, they find their rest in Him. Something that even if you're a believer, you got to remind yourself of this every day. This is the banner that God invites that we stand under as believers and God invites those who don't know him to stand under no condemnation, no condemnation. You aren't too far gone for him to get to work. So Jesus invites you to step out from under the banner of your efforts, of your own strength and stand for eternity with those Stand with him. Stand under that banner of no condemnation. It's what he wants to declare over your life today. Amen? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, what we find there is forgiveness. We find freedom. We find abundant love. We find compassion. We find mercy. We find the, the eyes of our Father sees us. Desires, desires to be with us. And what the Spirit does, it not only empowers us to live for him, it also fills our hearts with love for God. Remember how much he loved us as we remember each week as we do what we're about to do right now, come to the table. And we come to the table remembering that everything that we've talked about today All of what is possible didn't come through our blood. It came through the blood of Jesus. And he gave his body. He gave his blood so that we don't have to be ruled by the power of sin and death any longer. And so as followers of Jesus, we come to this table remembering our identity, remembering what we are empowered, the ways that we are empowered to live because of his spirit. And so I invite you to come forward if you're a follower of Jesus after I'm finished praying for communion. The second thing I'll invite you to is if you have found yourself, if you place yourself in any of those groups, right, beating yourself up, maybe condemning others, or if you don't know who Jesus is, you want to know more about following him, come forward. We would love to pray with you. There will be people at the sides of the rooms loving uh, to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. And I think lastly, is just worship. Like we respond in worship because our God is good. He is worthy of all the praise and the honor for the beautiful things he has done. Beautiful ways that he has gone so far for us. And so we respond in worship. And so I'll pray. And after I'm finished praying, invite you to respond. Let's pray. Lord, We thank you, Uh, God, we thank you for your word today, Uh, God, which is just a beautiful reminder of what the gospel says. Uh, God, that we have a place where our strivings cease, where our fears are still. God, where we don't have to feel the weight of sin and condemnation any longer, as our sin has been nailed to the cross. And so God, we have a new power, a power, we are empowered to live for you because of the power of your spirit, God, which empowers us to, 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 to do amazing things that are beyond our strength, to live faithfully after you, God, to experience your love that you have for us, God, and to, uh, to not have the fear of condemnation. And so God, lead us in this, Lord. We pray, God, uh, for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you, and come to faith for all of us to just be reminding ourselves of your beautiful love for us. Love you, your name, amen.